conclude the series that we have been on for the past three weeks, entitled Peter's View of the Passion. And today, 
we're going to talk about this incredible event called the resurrection. Now, after Peter's denial, Jesus, as we talked about the the denial last week, he denied Jesus not once, but three times. You know, Judas just betrayed Jesus once. Peter denied Jesus, that he was even his friend or follower, three separate times. Jesus is then brutally beaten. The video that you saw was from the movie called Jesus of Nazareth. We first were going to use the video from The Passion of the Christ. We couldn't. Too brutal. Too graphic. Too violent. To show in mixed company in a church. Friend, we have no clue what Jesus really suffered and went through. The Romans outlawed that form of execution. And the Romans were some of the most brutal people ever to be on the face of the earth. Nero. Nero used to take Christians. And he would put them on poles. And then set them afire to light his garden. So he could enjoy the beauty of his garden at night. This is how brutal the Romans were. Some of the apostles, the way that they were murdered and killed, one of them was put inside of a barrel that was filled with spikes and rolled down a hill. Another one was put inside of a log and he was sawed in two alive. We don't have a clue what Jesus really went through for our redemption. When my relatives went and watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I remember my reaction. Like many people, I was sitting there in stunned silence while the credits were rolling. The place was packed, and I I didn't feel like getting up. I didn't feel like going anywhere. I just sat there and stared. And I thought, I wonder if anybody else is feeling what I'm feeling. I turned around, and everyone was sitting there, emotionally raptured in what we had just experienced. One of my relatives, he said, Ah, he said, that was just too graphic. He said, three hours long of all of that? The fact is, the experience and the, the event took longer than the movie, my friend. Jesus was beaten all night long. The movie in its entirety was three hours. We do not fully appreciate what Jesus did. Crucified for the sins of Peter and for the sins of the whole world. Not only sins that have been committed, but sins that are yet to be committed. We not only sin, but we perpetuate sin. Some people are proud of it. I'm just a sinner. It should be something we're ashamed of. It should be something we distance ourselves from. Jesus has made you more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you, and that includes avoiding sin more than you do. Perfection. Perfection in the form of Jesus Christ, our Lord God himself, is unjustly condemned and sacrificed for what we had done. As the song says, it should have been us. Jesus set us free by paying that price for yours and my sin. Only John, Mary, and Mary Magdalene were there at the cross. Eleven apostles, including Peter, had scattered and hid, not knowing what was going to happen, not fully appreciating what was taking place. They were just scared, running for their own lives, trying 
to stay alive. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Let's read this passage. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That's all she knew. Wasn't sure what had happened. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. Somebody has stole his body. And we don't know where they had put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. This happened to be John. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in to the tomb. And Simon Peter, this same guy that betrayed him, came along behind him and went straight in to the tomb. That's just like Peter. Didn't ask permission. I think Peter had the attitude, well, it's better to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. How many of you are like that? And the rest of you should admit it. <laughs> he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. Before I continue... If it would have been grave robbers, there would have been linen scattered everywhere, strips of cloth all over the place. Because there was a, a group of soldiers guarding that tomb. These were the seal team six of the Roman Empire. This was a very important thing to guard because they needed to, to keep this religious thing under control. And so a crack group of Roman soldiers was guarding that tomb. As a matter of fact, when the Bible says that, that a sleep was put on them and they went to sleep, you know what the penalty was for a Roman soldier for falling asleep on guard duty? Had a soldier of, of mine, one of the guys that was in my youth group, that fell asleep during the Iraqi war on guard duty. He was dismissed from the United States Army and court-martialed. Good guy, made a bad mistake. He was dismissed, dishonorable discharge, from the United States Army. If you're a Roman soldier, you went to sleep on guard duty, they would light your clothes and burn you alive. So here, this is why if there had been grave robbers, they'd had to overcome SEAL Team 6 and go in there and take the body. That's why stuff would have been scattered everywhere, but everything was neatly folded as if no one had taken the clothes off of Jesus. He saw... And he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. What an incredible event. Something is up, the disciples are, are feeling. They're not sure what this is. They're afraid to get their hopes up. Have you ever been afraid to get your hopes up? Because sometimes the crash is worse than the joy if you were wrong. Something is up. Peter's not sure what is happening exactly, but he's not going to miss this excitement. He goes back and tells everyone, faith will take you further than understanding ever will. Peter is operating in the realm of faith, the same faith that you're saved by, the same faith that you're baptized by, and the same faith you will use when you receive the Lord's Supper today. Faith will take you further than understanding. And this is where we need to be where Peter was, where our faith will transcend what we think is a fact. That's why we pray for the sick. And that's why we thank God as if everything is already better. 
Our faith says that God can be counted on. Your relationship strength with God will always be based on your faith. If you're waiting to understand everything, you, my friend, will never accept Christ as your Savior. There always has to be something there that you're not sure of, and that's where faith kicks in. You say, well, I don't have faith. Sure you do. Bible says that God has measured to every man, every person, the measure of faith. He's given you enough faith to believe in Jesus' resurrection. He's given you enough faith to believe that all of God's promises are for you. As I've shared with you before, the problem with our faith is we spend it on other things. And when it comes time to have faith for Jesus, we're broke. Why? Because we've got lucky rabbit's foot. We're still hoping to hit that lottery. We, we, we got faith in everything. Some people have more faith in the weatherman, which my father-in-law calls the weather guesser, than we do in Jesus Christ. Faith is your only way to Jesus Christ. If you're going to accept this promise, if you're going to accept this sacrifice, it's because you're going to believe like a child that you saw sitting up here today. The coldest people I've ever known in my life We're strong in understanding and weak and impotent in faith. The Bible says becoming wise, they became fools. Many people believe that their intellectual prowess is a substitute. And they see us that have faith and believe in God as weaklings that need a crutch to lean on. It takes faith to believe there is no God, my friend. Absolute. There is more evidence for God's existence than there is for him not existing. Faithful people are warm people. Faithful people are people with that childlike wonder. No, they don't have everything figured out. Neither do the intellectuals. But they believe in a God who has created them. They believe in a God that loves them. Peter is struggling with his faith. Don't you know this Galilean? You've you got the same accent as Jesus, Peter. He says, no, it's not me. I, I, I thought I saw you. No, 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 it wasn't me. I'm, I'm sure it's you. It's not me, I swear by it. And the cock crowed three times. Jesus looks straight at Peter. And I believe his eye says, hey, buddy, I love you. I know where your heart is. You're just scared. The same look of compassion that I've gotten in my life and that you have gotten in your life. Jesus is not condemning you or hating you or he's not mad or upset with you. He's understanding and loving you and saying, it's going to be okay, come on. Hold on, I'm praying for your faith. I'm praying that it would be strong. Then we have what I call a fish fry. Preacher, what do you mean the fish fry? What does that have to do with the resurrection? In John chapter 21, verses 2 through 17, we find something happening right where Jesus first found his disciples. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. I like where the King James says, is, I'm a gonna fish. <laughs> that sounds like a fisherman, doesn't it? I'm gonna go fishing. That's what I was doing before Jesus, and I'm gonna go fishing. That's how I found him, and that's how he, where he found me. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just see. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. We've all been there. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. 
But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This is a second occurrence of this same miracle, same miracle in God's word. The last time Jesus was in the boat with them, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And look what Peter does. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off because he was working. And he jumped into the water, jumped into the sea. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread, hence the fish fry. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. There was 153 fish in the net. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him. You know what? If we, we, we do a sunrise service, you know, we're talking about doing the breakfast thing. We ought to have fish for breakfast. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be awesome? Remember in this moment. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Have you ever had a time in your life where things happen and they went well for you and you went, hmm, I wonder. Have you ever done that? I've often said, boy, this is awfully suspicious. This is really suspicious. God, isn't that your fingerprints I see? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, unfinished business here, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. One denial. That atoned for one denial. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Second denial, atoned. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You already know. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three denials and three affirmations. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Peter had the opportunity. I don't think Jesus needed that, but I think Peter needed that. Peter needed to think, you know what? I denied him three times. And I affirm my love for him three times. God loves us that much to tell us some of the simplest things so that we completely understand and we can find peace. Body of Christ, church, Christian, do you really love me, Jesus says today? He doesn't just ask that to Peter. Remember, Jesus is risen. He's alive forevermore. 
He asked me that. He asks you that today. Do you really love me? And if you're like me, some of the things whipping through your mind right now as well, if I loved him, I'd do this better. I'd, you know, maybe I'd go to church more. Maybe I'd do this more. And, but that's not what Jesus is wanting from you. He's just asking you a straight question. The rest is up to you, your behavior. He said, do you really love me? Because Jesus really loves you. Then he says, feed my lambs. If you really love me, you'll feed my sheep. If you really love me, you'll tend my flock. You'll do the things that I want done in this town. You'll be the light that you're destined to be at your workplace, in your community, or kids at your school. You'll be the answer person when it comes to the gospel. Instead of looking blankly and not knowing anything and being dumb as a stick when it comes to God's word, you will shed light and truth. I don't know much. You know more than most. You're already in the elite. Did you know most people in Caldwell today aren't in church anywhere? Most people in Caldwell today are not in church today. You have an advantage. You're amongst the elite. You have an opportunity to share the gospel. It's not just a religious and fanatical people. It's you. He says, if you love me, help me out. Do something. Let me use you. I have destined you from birth, before birth, to be used in this community. Because when I use you in this community, this community is going to be a better place than it is. Recently, I did a funeral. My Aunt Glenda, saint of God, loved the Lord Jesus. She died of a long disease that she struggled with that took away her ability to walk. She had MS. She got to where she couldn't go to church anymore. She just couldn't. She couldn't go. She couldn't drive. Her husband had died. She couldn't, unless someone picked her up, she couldn't go. And there were times she just didn't feel good enough to go. She said, the joy of my life was reading God's word, praying, talking to him. That was, and my life goal, my life ambition was to go to church, to be around God's people. And during the funeral, I made a lot of comments, as I often do in funerals. But a a comment that I had forgotten and just sort of passed off that wasn't that big a deal was this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to need a passport to be able to go to where Aunt Glenda is with the Lord. (laughs) She's going to live in a part of heaven that I'm going to need identification to get to. I'm going to need permission. So high is her place with Jesus. My cousin called me the other day, works at some dealerships in his own dealerships down in the Harlingen area. Dave, I just want to tell you something, man. Rodney was in my youth group. Maybe, man, I hope they can come up here sometimes. I'd love to introduce you to that family. He was in my youth group when he first came to, uh, came down to, to live near us in Freeport. And I've discipled him all my life. And he said, David, he said, Renee, my son-in-law. He said, he's always been a good man. He's always loved God and done some good things. He said, but he's begun going to church more than he ever has been. He's begun to pray. He's reading the Bible like he never has. He's getting involved in doing things. And it's just, he's upped his game. It's really something. And I'm thinking, what's his deal? You know, and he said, Mind you, David, he was a good, godly man before, but he's accelerated his life. He said, so I just couldn't take him where I said, Renee, what's up, man? What's what's happening? I I love it, but what are y'all doing? What's going on? He said, well, he said, Rodney, 
or dad, here's what has happened in my life. He said, at Aunt Glenda's funeral, he said, David said something up there. And he, he said that he would need a passport to go and visit Aunt Glenda. And he said, when he said that, I realized that I would too. He said, I looked at my wife and I said, hun, we shouldn't have to do that. Let's accelerate our life now so we'll have the proper identification when we get up there. He said, let's up it. Let's accelerate. Let's feed his lambs. Let's feed the lordship. Let's let's tend his flock. Let's do what we were born to do. And that's not to live an average life. It's not to just go on apathetically, just going to try to make it my living and hopefully I make heaven when I die. We were born for more than this. We're better than this. I'll tell you what. I was driving the car. And if, I, if I'd have checked my speed, it probably went up to 95 miles an hour. I was so excited. I was so stoked and thrilled. Here was somebody that God had used a simple statement that wasn't in my notes. It, boom. And God moved on someone to accelerate their life. God wants you in what you were destined to be. Not the average person you might be. You're better than that. God's invested more in you than just to be average. In your life, is there sufficient evidence to convict you for being a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ? I would hope you'd have a rap sheet longer than your arm. I would hope it'd be obvious who you are. Someone is definitely identified with Jesus. I'm going to ask another question. I'm asking some questions this morning. I'm concluding with. The next question is this. Are you living for Jesus? Or are you living for yourself? Boy, that's a question that preachers have to ask themselves. Is this about me? Or is it about God? Is it about my career? Or is it about the Lord's purpose? There comes a time in your life you're going to have to answer that question. Again, let me tell you something you're not aware of. You're more than you think you are. There's potential inside of you you don't think you can do, but you absolutely can because God has invested the grace inside of you. Don't belittle or insult God's nature. You have the ability to do incredible things. I spoke that over these kids. They're powerhouses. So are you. God wants to use you for his purposes. Another question. For what purpose are you living? What are you concerned about? Pleasing the Lord or taking care of business? Because pleasing the Lord is taking care of business. Why are you alive? What is your purpose? It baffles me when people say, what's the meaning of life? And when I, see, when I hear a Christian saying that, it just, it just stresses my spirit so much. Christian. You should never ask yourself the question, what is the meaning of life? What an absolute waste that is. If you don't know why you're alive, crack that big black book that is in your house. Jesus is the reason you're alive. His purposes, eternal life. What we've got coming after we die, where the Bible says we're going to rule and reign with him in his throne. The Savior is waiting for your answer today. Your answer. Your reply. He's looking at you. He's looking straight at you. And he's saying, how will you respond to this? 
And he says this also. I'm praying for you. You see, Satan has desired to sift every one of you guys. But I'm praying for you that you'll overcome. And if you are weak and you stumble, he doesn't want you to fall flat on your face. There is a difference between tripping and falling flat on your face. Peter tripped. Jesus is still praying for you even when you make those mistakes. I want you to bow your heads now across this building. I want you to be honest and I want you to answer these questions. Number one, is there sufficient evidence to convict you for being a disciple or follower of Jesus? Number two, are you living for Jesus or for yourself? Number three, for what purpose are you living? Do you even know the purposes of God? Do you understand the meaning of your life? Savior is waiting for your reply. Be honest and answer that question right now. Heavenly Father, I join with you and I pray for every man, woman, and child in this building today. It's more than we think it is. Paul, there are huge things out there that are happening around us, spiritual battles that are being waged. We cannot afford to be tied up in the secular, completely ignorant and oblivious of the only reality of our existence, the spiritual realm. God, help us to pursue you. Lord, thank you for praying for me. I do not want to disappoint you. I do not want to disappoint you. Lord, I choose to live for you instead of myself. I choose to know why I'm alive. And I choose to be a light to every room that I walk into. Hope for people who need to hear about you like I did. Because if they know what I know, chances are they're going to follow where I have followed. It is time, God, for us to accelerate our lives. We don't want to wander around heaven needing an orientation. We want to be orientated right here, right now. We love you, Father, and ask that you would be with each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here today, you're not sure about your salvation. If you're here today and you would answer my question, if you were to die right now, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? If your answer is, I hope I'd go to heaven, you need to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. We have an assurance of salvation. When you accept Christ as your Savior, one of the reasons you know you're saved is that word called faith. Your faith makes your hope a reality. And if you're not sure whether you're even saved or not, all you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is risen from the dead and has come in the flesh. Friend, if you can do that and you really believe and you say, I want to take all of my sins and my, my inconsistencies and give them to you, put them under your blood. The Bible says that he is faithful and fair. He's just to forgive you of all of your sins. So that when you leave here, you leave forgiven, not a work still in progress, forgiven. That God doesn't see your sins. He sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees the purity 
and the cleanness of Jesus Christ and his perfection. We're about to have communion today. And if you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, we're about to pray, you can receive this communion today. See, this isn't the brethren's table. This isn't a denominational table. This may be your first time in this building. You are welcome to receive the Lord's table as long as you're a member of the body of Christ. And we become members by putting our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ and asking him to keep us from sin. And that's what I'm about to ask you to do. Bow your heads with me one more time. I want you to repeat this prayer to me, sinner or saved. Dear Jesus, I understand that I am sinful in nature. I accept the responsibility for sins. I would have done what Adam and Eve did. But what you did for me, being hung on a cross, beaten and tortured for something you didn't do, makes it easy for me today to say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I'm your child. And I want you to restore me to your kingdom. I really mean that, Lord. And I thank you for forgiving me right now. My faith receives this as reality. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for restoring me. In your wonderful, precious name. Amen. Have you meant business? The Bible says, you're a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. All things have become new. And the Lord invites you to his table. The reason we do that is because it's dangerous to come and to hold these elements, which are the sacraments, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, unworthily. What makes us worthy is the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you pray that prayer in your minute, we invite you to come and to receive the Lord's table with us. Elders, would you please come and take your places? Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. Remember what I did for you. After the same manner, he took the cup. After they had supped, he said, This is the New Testament. This cup of redemption in my blood. And then he encourages us all. Drink ye all of this cup. And remember me. Such a small thing for us to do that has incredible significance. Today we rejoicefully sit down with him and commune with with him. If you have needs, if you're sick, if you have crisis in your life, this is a wonderful time as you receive this communion to say, Lord Jesus, help me, please. Have mercy upon me. Help it to go well with me. I'm your child. The Lord will hear you and he will touch you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we receive these elements today. We consecrate them for your service and ask God that you administer to us as we minister before you in remembrance of your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing. Stand with me, please. Open up your hymnals to the back of the book. See, an affirmation of faith that we call the Apostles' Creed. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth.
Let's confess with our mouth. Read with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He went to the place of departed spirits. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated at this time. We have the elements are varied here. We have unleavened bread.